Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Green and Morning Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. We're going back down on the comedy route, which yes. we all really, really enjoy. What is more good than talking about Newcastle United and comedy without it being a joke in itself, Sam Milner? I know, I know. I love these ones. I love comedy, I love comedians, I love... Did I ever tell you about the time I wrote a script in college and sent it to the BBC? No, but this is the story I want to hear. I've basically just told it. I wrote a script once and sent it to the BBC. I was 17. It was rubbish. But I did. I wrote an entire comedy script. Um, it was sort of like... Um, um, it was about four friends who were in like college age and um, escapades and humour ensued. Um, it got rejected by the BBC. And then two years later, The Inbetweeners came out on Channel 4. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not bitter about it. But um, and obviously the in betweeners was a hell of a lot better than what I wrote as a seventeen-year-old lad. But um, yeah, there was a time where I did fancy going down the comedy route. But as as you'll see from my social media posts on at Newcastle Fans TV on Twitter, I, I think I'm funnier than I actually am. Yeah, you're hilarious. And um, moving on, um... I'll take that. <laughs> um, we have Raul Coley on the podcast today. Um, big friend, big, big friend of Anne Young, who, of course, we've had on the podcast before. But what a title he calls himself, Sam. What a title. Yeah, um, go and check out his stuff on YouTube. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but, yeah, his stuff on YouTube is great. Uh, he's doing a big long run at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, along August. So if you listen to this and you're in the area, uh, head on down, go see him. The guy's hilarious, and he knows his stuff and best of all, he loves the tune. So, the Newcastle Brown Mail. Well, I said I wasn't going to spoil it. Oh, and you <laughs> just have absolutely cretinous. Um, but yeah, he's he's, he's ace. And um, spoiler alert: on he knows his stuff as well. Um, he's, he's he's got a master's in politics. Um, and the most comprehensive answer you will ever hear about any kind of controversy towards our takeover, you will you will now hear in this. It's fully comprehensive, and why you should be, or why you shouldn't be turning your back on the club. Not that anyone listening to this will have done, but um, yeah, it's it's the most comprehensive and most intelligent answer I've heard from the whole um, ethical debate on the 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 new ownership of Newcastle. So it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, yeah, seriously funny guy. And again, uh, I, I, I love these ones. I love getting comedians on. Just got boundless respect and admiration for them. Yeah, self-employed, and like, I've got a friend who's a musician, like a musician that travels around and sort of the same sort of uh, career in the sense that they've got to basically work as many hours as they physically can and work when they don't really want to work and want to watch the tune, for example. But Again, loves the tune, loves what Eddie Howe's doing at Newcastle United, don't we all? And look, the start of the season's not a million miles away, Sam, and everything's just looking positive on the horizon at the minute. Yeah, great, isn't it? I mean, it's going to be a bit disappointing when we finish like 14th. But no, um, Raul does make a very bold prediction uh, about our. Um, chances this season in the Premier League. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, a very bold prediction indeed, but yeah, it's great. Isn't it? It's it's nice to 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 be excited about about the upcoming season and not 
nervous because that's what it was. I was nervous for, oh, God, I hope this isn't the year we get relegated again. So, yeah, it, it, it's wonderful on all, on all fronts. Take away all the comedians that we've had on the Greenman and Moulton show. Who is your favourite comedian? Dylan Moran. Really? Yeah. I didn't think I didn't think you'd say that. I thought yeah, you'd say something Moran. like um, what's his face? The one that sweats a lot. I hate uh, sorry, I'm I'm not a fan of Lee Evans. <clears throat> Ooh. Tune in just next week for the reason why. No, just I just I, I just don't like um, I just don't like his stuff. No, Dylan, Dylan Moran, Dylan Moran for me. So that's the correct pronunciation. English people will call him Dylan Moran, but um, yeah, Dylan Moran for it for me. Um, love his stuff. Love Black Books, the series back in the day. Um, yeah, I've seen him live loads of times. So um, yeah, love him. Jason Manford's mine. Proper Northern comic, any? That's your yeah. that's your thing. He is. Do you know what? It's I was 16, 17 when I first seen him live. He was absolutely brilliant. He was really, really good. Honourable mention to Stuart Francis, though. Big fan of his one-liners, as he is a one-liner comic. See, well, he's retired now, of course. I, I have know. seen him, I have seen him live. Um, he supported Ricky Gervais when um, I went to see him. Oh, God, must have been about seven, eight years ago now. So, yeah, yeah, I've seen him live as well. Seen everybody. He's seen everybody as well. So that might be a different podcast where we'll talk about all the comedians that Sam's been to see and all the wonderful stories he'll tell us. But that might be further down the line. Maybe we'll get Ant and Raul on together. And that, that, that's one for when we, we're, we're panicking that we've not booked a guest. Yeah. <laughs> it probably is. Uh, but I think it's about time to get this podcast up and running. Strap yourselves in for some comedy in Newcastle United chat. I'm sure you can't wait, because I certainly can't. So this is the Greenman and Mulder Show, and it is with Raoul Cooley. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Alongside myself and Sam Muller, we're joined by a man who loves Newcastle United and is very, very funny. He's a fantastic comedian. He is called Raoul Cooley. Raoul, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. How are you doing, lads? You good? Oh, very, yes. very good, Raul. We've been told to have you on because a friend of the show, well, Sam, I was, I was going to say friend of the show, he's basically Sam's best mate, if we're being honest, because he gave you a shout-out, didn't he, Sam? Yes, he did. And Mr. <laughs> Ant Young, the legend of the baby cry, he implored us to get you on. But I was already aware of you, Raul, because you had me at Newcastle Brain Mail. So <laughs> Newcastle Brown Mail, it's just, it's just it's there. One letter fits me perfectly, matches my roots. There's a lot of them sort of weird Geordie overlaps I can do in my comedy. It's so Geordie Asian overlaps. Like I don't know if you you've never seen me do comedy, have you? You've just seen that flyer, maybe I'm I'm assuming. I watched you on YouTube. Oh, you watch me on YouTube. So I don't think this bit's on YouTube, but the whole bit about opening up an Indian restaurant down south where they don't speak like us and calling it the pure Raj. And just bits like that in the fact that, you know, <laughs> I'm Raul from Tyneside. There's not many of us. It's pretty much me and Raul Mutt. Uh, <laughs> 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 and that, that genuinely uh, leads to, doesn't genuinely lead to Gaza turn up me shows with a chicken, a fish and rod and a crate of beer. That's a joke I tell. However, one time Gaza did turn up to me show 
and I told him that exact joke. No way. <laughs> what did he say? What did he say? Uh, he loved it. He was, I think, if I'm being entirely honest, he was pretty hammered, uh, but he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he told us the story about how he ended up there with the, the fishing rod and the crate of beer, but I don't know. I mean, do you guys have any sort of rules or regulations or content sort of, is there anything you perhaps maybe can't talk about? Nothing that's going to get us kicked off of YouTube or demonetized or anything like that. But okay, I, I, think, I think we're on pretty safe ground. It's not like the BBC. Okay, well, just say like, uh, if you give a trigger warning for, say, drug use, would that in any way get your shadow banned or anything like that? I don't know. <laughs> we'll edit it if we need to. Okay. <laughs> if you need to edit it, fine. So the story he told me was like, oh, what it was, Raul, was it's a pretty bad time in my life. I, I was a... I was living in a hotel. I was addicted to Nintendo Wii. That's <laughs> really what he said. And then he said, but I was also addicted to cocaine. So anyway, I'm watching the news. I've not done anything. And I'm watching this whole thing kick off the standoff. And I'm going, oh, this is this is terrible. This, this has nothing to do with me, but it's awful. It really is. I hope that gets resolved. I do one line and go, yeah, I swear I'm not him, you know. I do two lines and I go, I swear I've been down the clubs when he was on the doors that Rahul. I swear we're mates. I do three lines and all of a sudden I'm like, that's my brother. I've got to go rescue his brother. <laughs> <laughs> he heads all the way down there. Says he can't remember a thing after going, that's my brother Rahul. Says he wakes up the next day in bed, some banging at his door, loud banging. <laughs> <laughs> looks at his phone, he's got a thousand missed calls, he puts on the telly just to see his face plastered all over the news, he asks who's at the door and the voice at the door just goes Gaza, it's your dad, let us in and he goes, dad, have I fucked up and he goes, you're right, you're fucked up, son let us in now <laughs> <laughs> it's just a legend, isn't it? Yeah. So, aside, he's a legend full stop <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know where we go from here. Yeah, I do a lot of sort of Geordie crossovers. Uh, you can frequently find me uh, in my two various tune shirts uh, uh, on stage. Uh, my Geordie roots are something I'm, uh, I'm very proud of, uh, and that connects obviously with the football team. There you go. And uh, someone's done their research. Someone has done their research. Well, Got all the pictures. Type your uh, name in Google Images. <laughs> it's my Twitter profile picture to be fair you wouldn't have had to look that hard um, yeah so a, a big connection with the, the city obviously and, and the football club which I've been supporting since pretty much I stepped out of the womb you can just see me in pictures in, in your castle shirts with McEwen's lager plastered on me my mum and dad just had me that way from and my brother and my sister from when we were young so when you talk about Newcastle United everyone everyone says who's your, who's your favourite player X, Y and Z and everyone's going to probably say Shearer so I always say Who's your second favourite player that's ever worn the black and white shirt for Newcastle? Uh, you know, my favourites are odd. I wouldn't even say my favourite Shearer. I think my favourite is Warren Barton. Oh, why? Friend of the Friend show. Friend of the show, He'll wonderful. <laughs> uh, he won't love this. You'll find this perhaps slightly insulting. Because oh, in that okay. entertainer's era, I feel like he really reflects me in the sense that, like, he wasn't... He wasn't technically the most gifted. If you look at that squad we had there, he wasn't no flair player. I know he's a fair, but he wasn't particularly worked really hard, like really, really hard. 
and he sort of reminded me of me in that sense. I'm not technically the best at anything, but I work really hard. I try, and that's why I loved uh, Warren Barton. My second favourite would probably be Shola Ramiobi, just because he's a cult yeah. hero. Do you know what I mean? He was just amazing yeah. on so many so many levels, and I've just got very fond memories of it. He always came alive in the derbies. And oh. I just love that statistic that I think has been, maybe, has it been broken now? Or maybe it's changed because he switched to Nigeria. But he was the, the last English player to score at the new Camp for like 20 years in a row. <laughs> that, that was something I really found like funny telling all my mates at university because they'd never get it. No. <laughs> and the thing is, how many people do you know that can ride a bike and eat an apple at the same time? He's a West End boy, do you know what I mean? If he wasn't playing for Newcastle United, that apple would have been replaced by a Roly. Shirt off, no hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Shola. But he was one of them. He could be unplayable on his day, but he could go missing for quite a while. Was it Bobby who said he was uh, the best player he's ever seen in his life in training? I believe that was yeah. the sentence he says, or have I just heard that? Because yeah. sometimes you hear that, particularly back in the day, like that, that period of time, particularly in the mid-thousands, Newcastle, we are like, in certain ways, the kings of fake news. Like before Twitter and Facebook was a thing, like I, I fully believe that Niall Ranger said, I'm a gangster first and a footballer second. And apparently that was <laughs> Probably an entertainer third. Somebody just came up with that and spread like wildfire. <laughs> Nile Ranger, Nile Ranger. That, 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 yeah. That, there's um, a box you don't just don't want to open. Jesus. <laughs> but so, where, where did, where did the love of comedy start, and and what kind of possessed you to to get into that industry? Uh, I, th- I think especially up here, like while it, you wouldn't necessarily look at it from the frame of stand-up comedy, but I think up here, like everyone is a character. Like if you go at the pub with the lads. From a young age, from me, everyone's trying to one each other. We weren't necessarily jokes, although you will see groups of lads who are jokes, who's witty, who's got the best crack. But it was stories, like who had the wildest story from the last weekend. And we were always doing that sort of stuff just in the pub from a young age before I even thought of like what stand-up comedy was. But I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch stand-up at Comedy Central Live. No, com- Yeah, Comedy Central Live at the Comedy Store. And I remember seeing Paul Chowdhury. And thinking, oh, people who look like me can do this. And I seen Jason Cook and I thought, oh, people who sound like me could do this. And just the, the idea was planted that Mebs, I could give it a go on there. But I never really thought much of it. And then when I was at university, a lot of people just liked my energy and told us I should try it. And then when I was in my final year of uni, I did try it. Uh, I enjoyed it. It went well. Uh, I just kept working on it. And then within a few years, I just about managed to turn it into a job, really. Who are your heroes when you're growing up as, uh, in, in the comedy world? Because I think everyone's got that one comedian when they go, that's my guy. That's my girl. Um, I, I could just listen to this person for hours and hours and hours and would laugh at every single joke and they'll not get bored. As I've got older and more into it, my heroes are variable because, you know, as you do get into it and if you're taking it as seriously as I am, I'm sure Anthony will have told you, you'll be watching so much stand-up and I will watch anyone. Like, I will, if they're getting a laugh, I want to know why and I don't care if it's, it's Roy Chubby Brown on the right or, or Hannah Gadsby on the far left. I will watch whoever is out there because for me, it's a craft as much as it is something I enjoy. Um, but I would say probably then it was Kevin Bridges. I thought he just had a wonderful way of telling stories and he had a wonderful way of breaking down big subjects into just small everyday interactions. Like he had a bit recently that I remember about Trump 
and about how Trump's just your average Glaswegian taxi driver who's just, you know, a bit mental. And he's like, oh, yeah, there's too many immigrants in this country. And you're just like, aye, mate, aye, it's, it's a bit of a problem. It's like, I wish I build a wall. Like, what are you on about? <laughs> and I'm just like, that is just, you know what I mean? Taking somebody on such a huge global scale, such a big, the president of America, and just reduced him down to this Glaswegian taxi driver. I just think, like, that's the sort of comedy I would like to or aspire to do, but I, I'm nowhere near as as talented nor as successful because I'm not as talented as, as Kevin Bridges, but he was definitely the one back then. But there were a few. There was, uh, as I say, Jason Cook, um, Paul Sinner, as well as Paul Chowdhury. I thought he was amazing back in the day, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that my career has led me to struck up uh, a friendship with him. Uh, nowadays, again, there's this like I don't know if you've, you guys, do you know, you guys know who Gavin Webster is? Yeah, yeah, heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I'd never, I didn't really know who he was until I started doing comedy, and particularly till I moved to the Northeast. But I'd probably, I mean, again, I'm fortunate that he's now, I would consider an acquaintance, a friend of sorts. But he is definitely like, if you ask me, one of the, he's one of my top five easily in the world. I think he's one of the best comedians out there. And he's, he's got some great stuff about, about the Northeast and growing up in Warzen. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, magnificent timing that we, that we've got you on, Raul, because, Whilst you're not part of the frenzy for pre-season tickets and and season tickets and all that, it's because you're heading to Edinburgh and and you're doing a run there. How excited are you that a Edinburgh is back in full flow after COVID and all that shite? And- I'm absolutely devastated, mate. Because uh, yes, last year is when you should have been asking me this question. Well, I know. last year what happened was was um, they put the fringe back on, but like literally Scotland was still in lockdown, where England yeah. had pretty much left, and they pretty much announced it something like two weeks before the festival. So it was a really scaled down festival. But what that means from the supply side is that about twelve of us went up to do full runs. Some people came up, did three days of, of work in progresses, where they're using notes and stuff. But only about 12 acts did, when usually there's about 7,000 shows on, 12 of us went for the full month. But you still had this huge demand of, of people who wanted staycations and people who'd worked through the pandemic, you know, doctors, teachers, nurses, and who were just desperate to actually try and get some sort of semblance of like a holiday and normality back in your life. So last year, I cleared house. I sold out every show, didn't do any flyering, had barely any expenses, and I barely put in any effort. I didn't actually write a show. I did crowd work where I just improvised and taught the audience, which is something I can do quite naturally off the cuff. And then I did a compilation show where it's just that for 15 minutes, and then me bringing on my friends. And then I just got absolutely smashed every day. It was, it'll never be as good as that fringe. And this year I'm doing three shows. There's a lot more competition. It's back in full flow. All the co- the competition's back to the point where I'm I'm tempted to just bat every day until the festival and try and start some sort of sub variant again to just take away the <laughs> competition because I don't think that was the peak last year for me. I mean, I'm excited to see a lot of people I won't have seen before. I'm excited to do a proper hour show again, but um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I don't I don't get to watch the tune. Where I might be able to squeeze in a half. Here and there when the season starts on, on August the 6th. But I won't be able to watch the one of my shows is 3 p.m. So that's prime time on a Saturday. So I won't be able oh, to, to watch school the school era. I know, I know, I know. But you you, you got to take what you're given in terms of, you know, if you get a good venue at 3 p.m., you know, like you're probably going to have to take that instead of, no, I can fit in the full tune game if I take 1 a.m. at this terrible venue just outside <laughs> of Glasgow. you got to make a business decision before you. I love the tune, I really do, but I do have to make certain economic, sensible decisions now and again. Because um, even like even when I'm coming back from gigs, you'll just see me on the train and just watching some terrible stream 
which is cutting out every two minutes, but it doesn't stop me. But sometimes I do have to put my, my career first, unfortunately, and I've done that this year and the competition's going to be heavy. Um, and there's obviously this cost of living crash. So I don't know what the punters are going to be like either, but but we'll see how it pans out. I'm excited to do a full solo show again. I, I, I've not written you know, a full hour of material with a narrative for a long time. Uh, and it's still going to be good to see the festival in full swing. I was going to say, it's the creme de la creme, isn't it, Edinburgh, for, for comedians, and it always will be. And it's it's like, I suppose it's like it's like a tennis player it's going to play at Wimbledon, isn't it? Or a footballer playing at Wembley for a comedian. Well, it's Edinburgh, it's the be all and end all, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a bit it's a bit of both. So it's, it's a bit like that, but it's also like anyone can really, if you, if you have the right connection, even if you're not known, and even if you're not funny, anyone can do Edinburgh, do you know what I mean? So comedy is weird like that, where you can turn up to your local Sunday league team and for some reason Roberto Carlos is playing left back with you. Like I know comedians who've only done two gigs <laughs> and they've turned up the stand and on their second gig, Frankie Boyle is the act that they have to follow or, or, or go on before. Like it's just, that's the way comedy is because when you have these, I don't know if you've ever been to Red Raw at the stand uh, on Highbridge Street, it's the Wednesday open mic uh, and, and celebrities, famous comedians will just pop in and do it. And the Fringe again is a similar vibe. Like that. You've got people who, nobody knows people like me or somewhere in the middle then you've got the global superstars at the top but it is it is very much like the world cup you know it's the most ticketed event after the world cup and the olympics it's mad that's mental mad most but ticketed event after the world cup and the olympics well Biggest it's actually it's, it's actually it's actually third now uh, newcastle season tickets have just gone above that into second <laughs> but, but, but can you t- <laughs> Can you tell when you get up there, like there's there's some acts that are just there for the piss up and the good time, or and there's the other half that are like, right, Perrier, Perrier, please, I need the Perrier. Or what, what's it like? Yeah, absolutely. Like as I said, as I said, it's seven thousand shows, so you have got various acts with various approaches. You know, you got some of the younger lot who are coming up and they don't want to do their debut because that means they're eligible for nomination for best newcomer for the the Perrier. Um, which if you're listening, you're unaware what that is. It's, it's basically the, the Ballon d'Or for comedians. Yeah. The yeah. is the best show. There's five nominees and then there's one winner. And then there is uh, five nominees for best newcomer, best young player of, 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 the, of the season or whatever you'd call it. Uh, and the winner for that as well. And if you get nominated for one of them, you're pretty much shoot, shoot in to, to get a big age and get a lot of TV in future and do very, very well for yourself. Uh, and so you'll see like the people who have fun are the ones who come up and do like half an hour um, and they'll do half an hour and then their pal do half an hour. So it's what's called a double hander. So you two, for example, if you were just starting out, you'd go up together and you do half an hour each and you do it to just sort of learn how to do half an hour of stage time to, to progress from like 10, 15 minutes uh, and then also learn how the fringe works. And then you'd go up and take your hour up uh, and, and, and maybe you'd like I took 45 minutes up, for example. That's how I started. Um, and that meant I wasn't eligible and I was having a lot of fun that year and then when it was the hour uh, I, I'll try to have a lot of fun while also putting a lot of effort into the shows um, but I think it's slid more into me having fun <laughs> Just these days as I'm getting a bit older um, it's I'm even in a different group now there's sort of like a carny group of us that there are those who are there for the awards and are spending a lot of money they'll be losing money with the hope of like going stratospheric and even though they've lost money that month all the stuff that'll come in the future will pay off what they've lost that month and there are people like me we're, we're a small group but we treat it more like a carnival we've got a very hoppins like 
vibe to it. That's why I'm doing three shows where we do compilations and all sorts of game shows. And we know we're not going to win awards for that, but for us, for various reasons, it's a good earner as the festival. And so we go up and we're there with the soul. We want to make people laugh. We want to put on good shows. Don't you get me wrong, but we're not really looking to get the the industry coming in. We're looking to get punters coming in and we're looking to make them laugh and we're looking to get good buckets at the end. We're mainly free fringe guys because that's the only place you can make money. A lot of the paid venues, you, you will be losing money because of just the way they, the, the, the setup is. I don't know if you want to get in the economics of that, we can if you want, but it's a long story. But the paid venues, everyone who's at the you know Gilded Balloon, the Pleasants, the Stand, the Stand, some of them, most of them will be making money, but the Gilded Balloon, the Pleasances, um, and, and I can't remember what the other one is called, Underbelly, most of them probably won't, particularly at the Pleasance. They're definitely not making money. Uh, Ian Sterling, who's the voice of Love Island, once talked about how he um, did a solo show, like won an award maybe or got nominated, sold out every show and still lost two grand. Yeah, Whoa. over a month. Yeah. So I'm not really there for industry recognition. I'm just there to make sure punters have a good time. I make some money. I have a nice time. I won't be having too much of an I will be working really hard because three shows a day, you can't even have one beer after that. Because if you have one beer after that, then you've got to get back up for your earlier show. Either you get in the habit of drinking through every day and that things will start falling off or you, you'll just be a bit knackered. So I'll be pretty much sober throughout the entire month or last weekend. I mean, you've not sold the experience. <laughs> 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 it's supposed to be all glamour. No, no, just knackered and losing money. But yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it depends. You know, I'm knackered and I'm making money. They're probably having a better time, um, but they're losing money. Um, but then there are people who go somewhere in the middle who found the, the sweet spot, like me last year. They'll do one or two shows a day and they'll have a lot of fun and they'll enjoy themselves. Um, and then they'll also make decent money as well. Fair enough. I mean... Coming back over to to Newcastle United side of things, obviously life is great again after fourteen years of uh, severe depression. Tell you one thing, you could get tickets in those fourteen years. Oh, couldn't you just? And they were the, the day were... before the Man United game. You'd still be able to get a ticket. Yeah, yeah, crazy when you think about it. But obviously, the takeover was shrouded in a bit of controversy when it all went through. Like guys like us were always asked about, you know, Saudi this, Saudi that. What, what, what's your answer for it? Because we don't, we we're just running out of straight bat answers now. Uh, I thought about it long and hard, and when I first heard they were taking over the club, part of me was thinking like, should, should I perhaps walk away? And I, I really have thought about it deeply. Um, and I decided, obviously, to stay with the club, hence why I'm, I'm on this podcast, hence why I'm still buying the shirts. And I, I'm deep into my politics. It was what my master's was in. My, 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 I'm deep into, like, human rights and, and ethics and this kind of thing. So it was a, a bit of a conundrum for me at first. But the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I'd, I, I think in the West sometimes, I think it's not really about building a better kind of world that works for people. It's about going... Ooh, I did this, so I'm on the right side. It's it's more about the individual than it is about building a better world for the collective. And so people want to talk about Saudi Arabia, but it's like, well, look, I don't agree with certain policies in Saudi Arabia. Like, I think the big two news stories to come out recently off the top of my head were uh, the them banning rainbow toys for promoting homophobia and the beheadings in a day. But I looked into them again and like, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, if you look at it over time, Saudi Arabia has been a traditionally conservative country. 
a conservative Muslim country. And that doesn't really sit well with us here in the West when we sort of look at the way our countries run and our laws. But like, you can't just like force this on a country, right? Like if you were to make homosexuality legal tomorrow, like there would be riots on the street. Do you know what I mean? Like the beheading thing, Mohammed bin Salman has even said in interviews that um, like he's trying to work on that, but it's in the Quran. Like I can't remember the exact quote, but it's in the Quran. It's some sort of thing similar to an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And therefore, if he was to abolish that, these people have been accused and, and found guilty of horrific crimes. We're talking like murder of children, stuff like that, terrorism. And if he was to abolish that over overnight, there would again be riots on the street. And for me, like, don't get me wrong, that that's still a terrible scenario for, 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 for gay people or perhaps relatives of these people who are facing the death penalty, even though the death penalty is legal in America. So, like, you know, you should probably be looking at Liverpool as well and other countries and, and so on and so forth. But coming back to Saudi Arabia specifically, like, look, I have to look at it in the context of somebody who grew up in university during the Arab Spring. And I was so behind the Arab Spring at first as this young, naive student. Like, yes, let's bring democracy to Syria. Let's bring democracy to Libya. Look what happened there. Like, they try to inject democracy overnight. And I do not think it's fair to argue. I think you possibly can't argue that standards of living anywhere in Syria are higher than they were before the Arab Spring. I don't think you can say Libya, especially after we bombed it, turned it into three different countries. And now slavery is back back there. Do you know what I mean? Africans are enslaved in Libya. Is that democracy? Do you know what I mean? Like, I cannot. I look at Iraq and I go, well, we bombed democracy. That didn't work. None of this has worked. Therefore, if you are truly, if this isn't about me and my conscience and how I feel and me being right on everything because I, I know what's best. If this is truly about building a better world and, and creating perhaps more liberal spaces or fairer um, environments for gay people or the LGBT community at large and women in Saudi Arabia, then I think you have to zone in on the fact that over the years, it has actually got a lot better for women in Saudi Arabia under Mohammed bin Salman's rule. Like it has massively women can drive now. The first WWE pay-per-view that was there, the women weren't allowed to wrestle and the WWE were going through a big sort of a women's revolution. And so it's like, how can you say this while doing that? You're just happy to accept your blood money. But three years later, what happened? Women were allowed to wrestle on the pay-per-view. Just the other month, Lita was wrestling. I cannot remember. I think, was it Becky Lynch? Lita and Becky Lynch? Lita and, maybe not Becky, but Lita and another wrestler, they were wrestling. And she was asked about this. And she said, yeah, like, you know, what I did kick off at the time. But now I see, like, as these things happen, bit by, like, these things have to happen at a pace that that country is comfortable with. Otherwise, those people, are, as we've seen in Syria as we've seen in Libya, are going to go through great amounts of suffering. And it's probably going to be far, far worse than it is um, right now. And I think if you're faced with the choice of, of boycotting or whatever, uh, or trying to bomb or trying to force democracy or, or, or whatever in there, or you let somebody like Mohammed bin Salman slowly but surely try and liberalize and open up the country and even just by the sheer nature of owning us there are going to be questions in the press rightly so about how perhaps women who go out in the big market on a saturday night might be facing the death penalty in saudi arabia but that's hard part of the point do you know what i mean and that's kind of why i think people should stick with the club and there's a justification for supporting the club even with pif investment does that does that make sense if i fully explain my point there 
I, I think you have. I think it, I think I think a lot of Newcastle fans again, and sounds quite right when we were inundated, and and I, I feel sorry for the likes of Pete Graves and Keith Downey who were probably inundated probably a hundred times more. We were getting quite a few requests at the time, and again we were getting that question, and it was a difficult question to answer. But I think that's that's certainly made a lot of sense, and I hope I hope I hope our listeners in particular really take on that point because it is it's 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 a very difficult subject but we do like I say you look at the WWE I think that's a perfect example if they can in time it'd be fantastic thing is obviously domestically that's one thing but then people talk about Yemen and try and sort of draw the parallels with um Chelsea and Ukraine um and I think that does warrant a discussion if you genuinely want to have a fair discussion here on that and I think with with Yemen while I think perhaps Saudi Arabia's tactics or approach and sort of perhaps helping in general famine is is quite cruel. I do think, you know, it's tough to say, but I think there's two things that you have to zone in on with Yemen. And number one, it's that a war is a war. Like, how do you really have an ethical war? That's quite a difficult concept. And number two, I just don't find it the same as Ukraine because while I feel deep sympathy for the citizens of Yemen who are being forced through this all, like, I got no sympathy for the Houthis. Not one iota of sympathy for the Houthis. I mean, the Houthis are an Iranian proxy. Number two, unlike Vladimir Zelensky and his government, they didn't get democratically elected. They took over the country via a military coup. Number four, number three, I can't count. Anyway, number three or number four, whichever one it was, um, they also, their mantra is death to the West, death to Israel, death to the USA. Like, they are not people I want in charge of a country like Yemen. Do you know what I mean? I understand. Why Saudi Arabia might be concerned at them taking over Yemen, especially via a, a military coup, which, you know, the guy before in charge, he was a military leader anyway. So, uh, again, as I say, you're trying to inject democracy into countries that, that have never really dealt with democracy. So, like, you can't just do that overnight. And, and these things are uncomfortable and they are difficult. And I think they do warrant the conversation. But another thing you also have to look at is that Saudi Arabia's security has gone down horrifically since the Houthis have taken over. There's, there's been, they, they don't like to show it because... Saudi Arabia want to project the image of being a secure country, which they are primarily, but they have faced terrorist attacks as a result of, of, of the Houthis taking over Yemen. And what did we do to Afghanistan when we faced some terrorist attacks? So it seems like a double standard that sort of, if I do say so myself, rooted in a sort of like a neo-colonialist sort of white saviour mentality. And I don't really think anyone has provided an argument to me for why perhaps boycotting the club or not supporting it because of the Saudi Arabian investment as well as you know Disney Netflix all that kind of stuff WWE like I have to give up a lot but I don't think anyone's provided me a good enough argument for why I should leave my club over this the only thing um that I can perhaps like nah I, I, I just feel like these people aren't really trying to build a better world they're not like I do a lot of reading on the Middle East I really think about the Middle East because as I say I grew up during the the Arab Spring, and that, that really hit me a lot. You can tell. Lot. Yeah, yeah. But it meant a lot. I didn't even realise shit like this was still going on in the world. So, like, I really, from that age, we're talking 10 years ago now, I've been reading and paying attention and keeping up to date as best as I possibly can, as one human being can, with what's going on in the Middle East and thinking about it quite deeply. And it just seems like people just want to... It doesn't, it doesn't seem like, you know, people want to get one over the mags, but people just want to, like, prov provide content do you know what I mean? And they're willing to blame Barry from Biker or Waheed from the West End 
for everything going on in the Middle East. It's like, no, there's there's a lot going on there. Do you know what I mean? There's like mad history there. Like it goes back to World War II, World War One, the Ottoman Empire. There's all the Sunni Shiite divide. It's really complicated, mate. And I said, I just don't know how like bringing this football club in. I can understand asking the question, but I don't think anyone's really doing the research to answer their own question. They're just trying to create a bit of a because the more we argue, the more headlines you've got. Do you know what I mean? And I think ultimately yeah. that's the press's job more than it is to actually build a better world. And, and uh, uh, with all that, all us fans wanted Sorry, was the stadium to be. Uh, yeah, but all us fans wanted from it was the stadium to be cleaned and for Shearer's Bar to be renamed Shearer's Bar. Exactly that. Exactly that. It's, it's it was it's kind of like well just can we just have like five minutes to just neck eight cans and take our tops off under the statue of Sir Bobby Robson and just let us have our five minutes before nah, we you know they didn't let us did it they were all like within five minutes everyone's getting accused of you know justifying or arguing for fa- I don't even know man like I just thought it was just yeah I just think journalists do that sometimes it's their job yeah hundred percent. But going back onto Newcastle United, um, it's been very, very interesting. But there's just a real buzz in the city centre right now, and I think ever since January, really, it's, it's obviously the players. Some players have come in. Obviously, Bruno Guimaraes, which I'll mention in a second. But what just from obviously you say from an outsider point of view, because I know you'd love to go to Newcastle every week, but a job's a job at the end of the day. How brilliant is it to see a winning team? With a bunch of supporters on side, you know, there's no chance of ownerships going out or the manager going out, and just being able to watch your team and with a, with a smile on your face, bro. It's a it's a cliche, you know, when they say when the football when the football football club does well, the city's happier. But I think it's I think it's true through and through. And like I came, I was coming back, I was supporting Dame Baptiste in Leeds when the takeover was announced. And I kept, like I got on the train up, and already like half the I was seeing the Facebook and the Instagram streams and stuff on the crowd. It was all my mates were like there, loads <laughs> of my mates doing up with the towels on their heads. <laughs> and so I went out for drinks with them, and then just like that's all wonderful, but that doesn't move me. Like the football is a football. I still stuck through thick and thin with the Ash years, and you know the Championship years were great. Don't get me wrong. I remember being at a four-three game, but the Premier League it was dross. But it's it's the way, like, it's engendered a sort of regeneration and a reinvestment of the city. And it's stuff that they're doing on the outskirts that's really just moving my heart. It's seeing, and like, you know, people like yourselves, uh, Tyneside Live, Adam Pierce, and all these different people, regardless of what you think of some of the others, but all these different people who are building careers off the back now of Newcastle's success and what the owners are doing for the women's team. Like, I got nieces now, and they're playing football regularly, and I've been telling their moms, I've been like, we're going to have to get them up for a Newcastle game so they can see the types of audiences they'll be playing front in front of in future. <laughs> uh, and what they like, even just seeing the, the, the kids that got the, the pro contract yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. signing on Twitter, that was really inspirational for me. And then, as well with the football, like, Eddie Howe's just, ah, he's got, I think he was a Buddhist monk in a past life or something. He knows some stuff. <laughs> Somebody, don't, you know what I mean? He knows some stuff we yeah, don't. Yeah. He's a smart, wise guy. Because he just seems like, I'll say one thing about Bruce. Bruce, I, he got a very hard time with us. But I did think, for as tactically inept as he was, I did think he was a good man manager. And I think he, that was proven by ASM's tweet when he left. Mm. Did you yeah, see that? I think, point, he was good, I think when the going got tough, 
He had no idea what to do. He lost his rag. Blame the local press, the fans, the quality of the bacon. He blamed whatever. He got very party with it, right? But I do think he did manage to, especially when he first came in, he did manage to get some of those players. But Eddie Howe seems to have tactical genius, a relentless work ethic, and also just kindness. There's just so many things. Something about the way he speaks and the way he responds to reporters. There's just the sheer. And I think they were saying like, the first thing he did when he came in was ask them when their kids' birthdays were. That mm. is a human being. That's a human being who just gets the human spirit. And I think, you know, you see it in certain managers like Jürgen Klopp. You really do need that, particularly in this day and age when, you know, I think the game has moved certain managers by. I honestly think like a Fergie, I don't think, I think Fergie is Fergie commands respect. But I think if he started now, he might struggle because his sort of era of discipline, the way he is, doesn't work with these kids who are, being paid a hundred grand before they've even got in the professional team. Do you know, that's an exaggeration, but you know, they're kids who've been told they're going to be great. They're going to be, you know, God's gift. And they've been given all this money. And I think Eddie Howe really understands how to get the best out of these players now, these young boys. And then just watching the squad and watching the way the fact, like I think the fans are really where appearing our best right now. And that brings, you can see like the happiness, excitement in my face that it brings like, just when Dwight Gale came on, was it the last game of the season? And he were running up the wing. And they started singing about Dwight. We've not watched Dwight. Dwight Gale, I don't think, has appeared on, the, on that. I can't remember him appearing on the pitcher season. And the fact that our fans were still singing for him because it was that, like, that is a huge signal to players come to this club. Like, even if you even if you don't play, they're going to be making some speech. You know what I mean? Like, I think everything and everyone in the city has just been, everything's just been put up, like, by point five. Like, do you know what I mean? everything's yeah, just more exciting everything's just more happy it's a great great time to be in Newcastle great great time to have relocated back here and I think football and outside of the stadium it's going to be an exciting and mental few years so are you like the rest of us then watching Twitter for example like when Batman signed are you getting giddy about doing like Batman parodies and and seeing that stuff on Twitter and you like the rest of us just wanted more yeah, I'm, I'm, and afford i should really get myself out of it because you know i have to bear in mind that when i'm going to gigs people in darlington or i'm going to woodhall spa in lincolnshire tomorrow they don't really care about <laughs> what's going on on nufc tour i'll give you one example where i did actually i went to a gig in bristol and it was the day after they'd been promoted and i thought they'd get it even though you know bristol's very arty city the crowd was very arty uh, and i did this joke about how i wasn't actually here for the comedy, I was here to pick up my mate Elliot. Apparently, we played for like a local Sunday league team. I don't know, they got promoted or something. And I got nothing, and like I moved on pretty quickly and just went to my normal <laughs> set. And it was fine. But I realized it wasn't even Bristol fans. Like, there weren't that many of them tweeting about Elliot Anderson. It was NUFC fans tweeting about how well <laughs> Elliot Anderson had been doing for Bristol. And so I do need to move away from that. But like, it just makes me laugh. I love, I don't know if you've seen Zero Context in UFC. Yeah. Yes, I'm a big yeah. fan of that. I think it's the same kid who made the Joe Linton shit. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah, so I got a lot of respect for that kid. I think he's funnier than me and I'm combined, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, and then, on top of that, just some of the other bits of pattern that come out. I mean, whoever did that Botman and Ruben meme, I don't know why he thought of that. I don't know how his brain connected to that, but I didn't stop laughing at that, but it's uh, it's it's you know you gotta you gotta stand back sometimes because you know I've been getting excited about certain players that probably aren't gonna be here. Uh, is it how do you pronounce like it? Yeah, how do you pronounce his name? Ekatike Tike. Ekatike. 
Ekatike, is that how you pronounce it? I yeah. put that into a sound translation because I wasn't sure it was Ekatike or Ekitike. And they said it was ear kitty kitty. I'm glad you asked was... for the pronunciation of the name because Sam really struggled with it at the very beginning when all these rumors came around about uh, Mr. Ekatike. Wasn't that right, Sam? May have, may, may have mispronounced his name on live on Sky Sports News. Oh, <laughs> well, it could be worse. You could say you didn't really like, you don't really rate Eddie Howe, so you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> evening ants, if you're watching. Things. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like I, ju- I just, I try and I try to be a bit like the owners, you know, patience is a virtue, as uh, Mr. Gaddusi said. I just try and take a step back when the, when they're signed over, like Botman is great. I'm excited. Uh, buzzing for, for Target as well. Uh, I think it's still got. Signings to go, do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, I'll like keep an eye next? on that. But... Sorry, who would you like in next? If you could, have, if you had a magic wand, realistically, three. I don't know. I'd say. I mean, Diaby. That's all that. All that part has been popping off recently. But again, mm. I don't want to be. Is that just NUFC fans getting overexcited, or is that genuinely looking like it's going to be a a thing? I think. I think uh, Paqueta would be mad exciting as well. I don't think we'll get Neymar, and I don't think Neymar would be a particularly good signing with what we're trying to build. It's exciting. It's some stuff you do on Ultimate Team, innit? Bruno, Joe Linton, Paqueta, Neymar. Oh, the chemistry of your midfield flying through the roof, Brazilian. But, like, I don't think with his wage demands and how that would upset the general dynamic of the club, I think I think that probably wouldn't be the best signing for us. I still think we need a striker. I love Wilson, and when he's playing, not on his day, just when he's fit. I think he's one of the best strikers in the Premier League. But I just, I don't know, looking at his, his record, if I don't know. I, you don't know because, you know, these owners are putting so much money in behind the scenes on just things we don't really perhaps think about at first glance. It, 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 you know, I mean, Christ alive, the pictures of them wheelie bins going out. Do you see that? <laughs> and they're replacing it with actual hot tubs or whatever, or cryotherapy. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I'm not, I don't do sports conditioning. I'm not into physiotherapy like that. But when they... When I seen the pictures of them getting rid of the wheelie bins, and then I seen actual pictures of our first team squad having ice baths in those wheelie bins, I was like, "No way! Were we actually doing that?" And so you never know. Like I, I'm saying this about Wilson now. Look, Callum, I doubt you're watching, but if you are, I absolutely from the bottom of my heart, I'm not doubting you. Um, but if the owners do invest in certain things in terms of physio and these cryotherapy pools and replace the wheelie bins and whatever, you never know that that could make an enormous difference. And then all of a sudden you might have a Callum Wilson who's fit for the full season. And that, that's a scary thought for any defence. That's a scary thought for the Premier League. Oh, yes, please. Isn't that just... Yes, I mean, if, if he can stay fit like and start next season the way he finished, like because he was only fit for, like what, the last two, two and a half games or something like that, wasn't he? And he was yeah. awesome. Yeah. awesome. And against Arsenal, random, oh. raggedy, which is terrifying back there. Absolutely unreal to watch. And that's after God knows how many days of like you know not actually playing. Yeah, yeah. So Unreal. just come back off the cuff like that and just have that in the back of your, in 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 your back pocket anyway. Like if he's fully fit, you probably don't need a replacement. So you obviously do need a replacement strike just in case and give him rest and stuff like that. But God, I would start him every game. But I, I would I would I think I'd want to strike a most right now just because I do think much as I enjoyed the songs about Dwight Gale, I don't think he's an adequate number two in the Premier League. Well, he's number he's number three. Well, he's number three. Let's face it. With oh, Chris, Chris Wood. Wood, isn't it? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily forgotten about. Oh, no, I don't like doing that. I like, I like, I, I like, I don't care who they are. You know, my favorite player is Warren Barton. Like, I like yeah. anyone who's played for, if they've played for our club, if they've done the black and white and they at least put the effort in, like Warren Barton, no, DR Hammond, uh, no, I get that. any road player I'm a fan of. I get that. I get that. But brings them in. He holds up the ball well, brings yeah. in the players. But if you did have him holding the ball up or like heading it down to say, ASM on one wing and DRB on the other. Christ alive, that would also terrify defenders. That would, mm. you know, if you just long it up to him and he managed to get it to one of them two dribbling, oh my God, that'd be terrifying. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I get what you're saying. Like, he only scored two goals for us, but they were two bloody important goals. Very like, important. How often was it where we just stuck one man up front and like like when Joe Linton, before he turned into prime Vieira, when he was stuck <laughs> up there... He was just it was just so isolated and wasn't doing yeah. any better, was he? So yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. It was it was a sensible signing for that time, but he's he's obviously not in the future of Newcastle United. Maybe we could try that. Before we sell yeah. him entirely, give him a spell out in defensive midfield. You never know. He <laughs> 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 want to be like a left back. <laughs> Put Trippier in net. You never know. Now you could just take a roll of the dice on these things and see what happens. Um, but what was your I also love the gossip uh, the rumour about um, about about Chris Wood which I think was proven to be completely false but for a while I believed it and from there he became one of my favourite players ever when he when we played West Ham and it went wild on Twitter that he um, Uh, with with the ref because uh, he kept meowing at Kizuma (laughs) I I think that was something I was found to be untrue but for a while, I believed it was true, and I was a much happier person because of that. <laughs> <laughs> you just wish it was true, don't you? You just wish yeah, it was true. That is Kiwi as well. I just got this idea. <laughs> right, well, I can't get my cut. My cut. I don't normally do this, but I, I think it, I, I, I think it's going to be something I'm going to try with. Right, quick fire. I've got four quick. Are we, are we going to discuss? A, are we going to discuss a format change of the podcast first? Or <laughs> <laughs> no? Why not? Why should we? Why should we? I, I, I just want. Literally, I'm going to give you literally five seconds after each question. There's four questions. Your first one is favorite player at Newcastle right now. Oh, top of my head, I'd say ASM. Good shout. Favourite manager of all time? Bobby. Good man. I like that answer. I like that answer. Favourite game that you've either seen or been at? It's a toss-up between two. It's always a toss-up between the same two every time I'm asked this question. Uh, 5-1 Sunderland. That was just glorious. I'm sat in the Gallagher with three of my best mates from home. Uh, one of the best days of my life, especially uh, with, with Boo and Bramble and oh, the whole day. was. Anyway, it's either a toss-up between that or the 4-3 against Norwich. I was sat with mate Jamie Bainbridge. Uh, we sat sort of not, you know, John Hall's there, sort of just around the corner. And when that fourth goal went in, it felt like my head came clean off, like rocketed to the moon. <laughs> I had like an out-of-body experience. And I didn't even drink that much. But I think the adrenaline of that fourth going in at such a just unexpected time afterwards, I literally, like the next day, I've not had a worse hangover in my life. And I didn't drink that much, but I just think the adrenaline, the excitement, just out. I couldn't have expected it. It was impossible almost. And it happened. And then I just, my head came clean off. 
it was an unbelievable, unbelievable game that one as well. But finally, where are Newcastle finishing in the Premier League next season? I'm going to go bold and I'm going to say third, you know. I've never heard your voice go that high. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what my logic is. Come on, then. I want to listen to this. My logic is that we were third. I think, did we finish third last season? If, if, if you just go from January in form table? So, we finished yeah. third, right? Third or fourth, yeah. Something like that. Third yeah. or fourth, right. So that's why I'd say we are finished because, number two, we're going to have a stronger squad, right? We are. We already do have a stronger squad. Uh, I don't, how have I started with number two? Number one, we're going to have a stronger <laughs> squad. <laughs> I can't count for a moment. Your match is going to be champion by next year, I think. <laughs> I honestly think I think we could be third or fourth because I, I, th- I think you know I get I think the goals are getting too big now. I still think we're not going to be able to compete on the same level as as perhaps City um, and Liverpool. I think they're still going to be leagues ahead for few seasons yet. Um, they just have the infrastructure and the funding that will take time to build and develop here. But I think we have three, three things right. Number one, um, yep, the squad is already going to be better. Number two. Our home form will be, I think we could maybe go the whole season without losing a home game. Watching what it was like last season, just players are terrified of the noise we're making now. And rightly so, because and the, our players get energy off that. They get they feed off that where their players get terrified. You And rightly so, you can hear this now. You can hear the ground now as far as gossip. That's two miles away. You can hear the ground. People are tweeting, saying stuff like that. The atmospheres are just going to be non-stop electric from the first game. We're going to absolutely run riot over teams at our home ground. I think we're going to see some very, very big results on a few occasions, some four or five nils. It's going to be a lot of fun, those home games. Um, And that's it. I think the rest of the clubs in the top six, we know, everybody knows. Hammond said a good thing the other day. He said that, like, I would, I think a lot of players would pick Newcastle United right now over Tottenham or Arsenal because, like, while you might not get Champions League this season, you can tell that with all the infrastructure they're building and everything they're doing, that they're, they're heading a certain direction. The direction is up. Whereas the rest of the clubs, Tottenham, Man United, Arsenal, they're injecting these stop gaps, but they don't really know what the hell they're doing. And the board, through to the fans, are sort of confused about where the hell they're meant to be or what the hell they're doing. So I think we just have a stronger just overarching thing going for us. And I think uh, uh, if you look at when Leicester finished top of the league, I remember watching the first game of the season and Leicester were playing and I'm watching them and I was going like, whoa, I've not heard noise like this in a Premier League game in a long, long time. I can hear them through the telly. Like, what they, is this is an atmosphere, this is. And, you know, a couple of seasons later or whatever it was, they ended up winning the league and I think that was partially because they're their home atmosphere was so good. And the whole City, one City club, they were all behind the club. And I think you're really going to see that shine through this season. And I think for those three reasons, I think we're going to get third or fourth. I probably, if I'm just trying to be a bit more sensible, maybe say top six. But I, I think everyone's trying to be, nobody wants to be the Geordies who get upset because we're not in the Champions League. You know what I mean? Like nobody wants to fit in. And I won't be upset if we finish eight or ninth. I'll still be happy. I'm happy overarching with what the club are doing. But I do think just off, my logic alone, that we're probably going to be top six at minimum. Well, well, that's certainly a welcome change of pace from the kind of go-to answer at the moment, which is all top 10 with a cup run. It's always with a cup run at the end. Always with a cup run. 
But yeah, uh, hmm, yeah, that might be the bit I clip up and send to Anth Young. <laughs> we're going <finish> <laughs> to finish third. But um, Raul, do us a favour for everyone that's watching and listening now. Where can people get tickets to see you uh, perform and uh, your socials and and whatnot? Plug, plug, please, plug oh, away. My socials are. Raul Coley comic at R A U L K O H L I C O M I C. Um, I'm not really. I'm in the same places for the next month because I'm. I'm in Luton on the 22nd. If you're down there, I'm in Morley on the 19th. Um, and then I'm doing Morpeth. Pleased to meet you on the 29th. But for all of August, I'm up at the Fringe Festival. I'm doing three shows. You can get tickets. It's pay what you want, so you can decide how much you want to pay. Doing three shows. If you like crowd work, if you like spontaneous humor, if you like something that's not too political, too deep, just, you know, somebody having fun with the audience and being funny off the cuff, I want to come to my 3 p.m. show, Raul Coley makes it up as he goes along. Uh, if, if you like political stuff, if you like a narrative, if you like material, you want to come to my uh, 6.15 show at Cabaret Voltaire, Russian weapon of mass destruction. Uh, and then if you just want to see a normal comedy night with various people, uh, I'll be hosting a show at 10.30 every night at the Pear Tree called Cole and the Gang. It's just me bringing on my friends and then doing a bit of crowd work at the top. But really the Edinburgh Fringe, that's where you want to get tickets to see me over the next month. Brilliant awesome. stuff. Raul, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on, talking all things comedy in Newcastle United. Is there anything better in life? I don't think so. But again, if you want to visit Raul in Edinburgh, by all means, get yourself along there and get involved in any of the shows that he has mentioned there. Raul, I hope you really enjoyed the last, just under an hour or so. I had a great time, lads. Thank you very much for having us. And uh, by all means, if, if you want us on again, be more than happy to come up and uh, I'll see if Gazza can provide me with any more stories before I turn up next time. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Sam, where can anybody listen to this podcast? Links are in the description or if in doubt, just, you know, Google it. Because <laughs> Google it, and just when you hear my voice going, third, it's the third best podcast. That's why. <laughs> but hey, that'll be clipped up as well. That just that high pitched voice, I think, from now on. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Maybe Raul will be right. We will finish third, and it'll be probably. <laughs> if if, if we do, you've got to get us back on, lads. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll Definitely. get you back on anyway. Absolutely. We'll get, we'll get we'll get you on. We'll get you on and from at the same time. That'll be just trouble. Trouble, but it'll be good trouble. <laughs> Get us on after we finish third, and we can just play my clip next to his over and over again. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. For myself, Jonathan Greenwood, Sam Mona, and our guest tonight, Raul Crawley. We'll see you all very soon. Newcastle Fans TV.